Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Counseling. If you need some help with your happiness or achieving your goals, BetterHelp is here for you. It can offer a crucial assist. These are licensed professional counselors Get connected in under 24 hours. Talk in a safe online environment. Change counselors for free if necessary. This is a convenient, confidential, professional, affordable service. Whether you're dealing with depression, stress, anxiety, relationship issues, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, whatever it is, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. And best of all, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash other PPL. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash other P-P-L. All right? Okay. I once brought by I wrote a horse and a horse was taking part in it. I gave no excuse to anyone at all. All right, everybody. How's it going out there? Welcome. Welcome to the Other People Show. My name is Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It is good to be with you. I have Jean Keong Frazier on the program today. Her debut novel is called Pizza Girl. It's available from Doubleday. It is the official July pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. The Nervous Breakdown Book Club is my online uh, book club. The Nervous Breakdown is my online culture magazine. It has its own book club, is what I meant to say. Go to thenervousbreakdown.com if you're interested in joining the book club. Uh, What can I tell you about this conversation? I can tell you this. I was incredibly sleep-deprived during this interview. This happens sometimes. I have children. My children sleep most of the time. When they don't sleep, I don't sleep. This was one of those times. You're going to hear that uh, in just a moment. If I sound a little punchy, it's because I probably was running on like an hour and a half of sleep or something like that. So I should also add that Gene Kyung Frazier and I share something in common. We are both pizza delivery drivers. Not currently, but we have driven. And this is a special bond. You might not be aware of this, but people who drive, people who have driven, they share a bond, an immediate rapport. (laughs) And uh, it was just a delight to talk with Jean, meet her, catch her at this moment when she's just debuting this wonderful new novel. So here we go. Let's do it. This is my conversation with Jean Keong Frazier. Her novel, again, is called Pizza Girl. It's available from Doubleday, the official July pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. This is Jean Keong Frazier. It's funny, I did not think it would be my first novel by any means. Um, I'm a big basketball fan and I always thought 
uh, young ambitious me wanted to write the great basketball novel of America, you know, because there's not a lot of high literary sports fiction. Um, I loved those Matt Christopher books when I was a kid. I don't know if you ever read those pulpy books with titles like The Kid Who Only Hit Homers or The Guy with the Submarine Pitch. Anyway, um, but yeah, it just sort of seemed like, uh, for lack of a better word, a really good vehicle to tell a story with, you know. Um, Basketball or pizza? The pizza delivery. Yeah, pizza delivery. And so then just basically everything I was kind of thinking about, you know, like, Young parenthood, uh, sexual fluidity, Americanization, it all kind of found a way into this story. And I just started expanding it. And then I had a novel eventually. So what was the what was the factor that caused you to write this book instead of the basketball book? God, that's a good question. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly. It's like I think a lot about writing books at the times that we need them. The basketball idea was fun and it definitely had some good lines and everything, but there wasn't a lot of emotional drive there where with the pizza novel, I had just moved to New York city and I was bartending a lot. And I was thinking a lot about the unknowability of people, just like the weirdness of like meeting people and being your best version of yourself for a couple minutes at a time. There was this one couple that I really liked. And till one day I was working under the bar, I was crouching down cleaning and I heard her ask him, where does your wife think you are right now? And it just really hurt my heart a little bit. But it's also, it's like that kind of thing of like, well, I don't know them. Why why should that hurt me? Because they're like fictional characters for you. You need them to perform a certain a certain role. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just something weird about service jobs like that in general. It's like everyone kind of performing and kind of like we're being the people that we all need. You know, like everyone likes the friendly bartender. Everyone likes to joke around and have a quote unquote like fun moment with their pizza guy or girl, you know. Well, I think for some people, too, you know, there's so much loneliness in our culture that the interactions we have with service industry professionals Mm -hmm. might be some, you know, they might be some of the only meaningful interactions we have at all. And I I should say, too, because there is, I think, especially, and I'm sure you probably dealt with this, Mm. um, being a female pizza delivery person, that, you know, these jobs can become sexualized. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, You might get people hitting on you. I mean, that even happened to me like once or twice. But uh, (laughs) I can recall because I was uh, shy Mm -hmm. as a young single guy in my 20s, I would always like develop crushes Mm -hmm. on like waitresses and bartenders. (laughs) Because I I, I was so bad at approaching people. I was just like, okay, well, this person I can like sort of talk to, you know, and like call it a crushtomer, a crushtomer. Is that what it's called? Okay. I I was a crushtomer and I hope that it wasn't creepy. I was just, you know, I think people just are awkward sometimes. Totally. Um, I remember this was at the last bar I was at. I was towards the end of my shift and this guy came up to me and he said, I, you know, I feel like we have a really good connection. I don't know. I was thinking maybe we should go on a date one of these days. And I felt so awful, but I was just like, oh, uh, and I didn't know how it was going to go to, because you never know how it's going to go when you turn someone down, especially a strange man you don't know. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't really feel that way about you. And he was really cool about it. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I hope I can still come in here. And I was like, yeah, of course. And that was that. Um, and it wasn't, it was a completely nice interaction. You know, um, so that can happen sometimes, too. It's just, again, furthering that point of like, it's so hard sometimes to feel like you can put yourself out there. It makes sense when it's someone you see all the time, you know, like I had become a figure to him almost. 
Okay, so did that guy come back to the bar or come back? He did, to... yeah. It was completely oh. normal. You know, he was just a normal, normal guy. You know. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, that's like the most civil thing ever. Yeah, it was very civil. That's the thing. I felt my like the hair on my neck prickle because it's never. Uh, it can go much worse than that, but that was a really nice one. That was a really uh, nice one. Have you had situations where it's gone south? Uh, more that it's like people can be like pushy being like, no, just like come out with me once or like, you know, have a drink with me just this one time. I'm, uh, I've been lucky though. I've been able to get out of it. I I definitely know that there are situations for people that don't go well, but I, I've been lucky in that way. So I want to, uh, talk to you as well about some advice that you, I think you were in uh, doing an interview that I was reading Mm. and the interviewer was asking you for your thoughts on like advice you would give to a young writer. And I'm paraphrasing, but I, right. I remember you saying basically that your advice was to young writers was to just not give a fuck <laughs> uh, or to give like less fucks as you're writing. And right. um, like, I think to somebody maybe listening at first blush, that might sound a little crude or something, but right. I, I got to say when I was reading it, it totally resonated with me and, it might be because I'm in the midst of writing a book that I give like a lot of fucks about. And <laughs> I think that that can actually, that can like muck up the works. Like, I, you, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think there's like real wisdom in what you were saying is what I'm trying to tell, tell you. Right. So can you elaborate on don't give a fuck? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's like, I try to like, I give that advice and I, I'm like you, it's really hard for me to take it sometimes because it's like, you know, Everything I write, I'm always thinking, I'm like, oh, man, I hope I hope this isn't dumb. Oh, man, I hope I hope someone reads this and feels this and like believes it, you know, like they believe that I believed it and everything, too. Um, so it's like my advice was almost just like, don't worry so much if you're giving a lot of fucks, because ultimately it's coming from a really good place. You're caring about your words and their effect on other people. Um, but it will be better for your sanity for sure. If you can just sort of like go with the flow and just kind of focus on yourself. Like I don't, I actually don't sh- share my writing with anyone until I'm done. I don't really do writing groups and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't either. Like who do you, but do you, do you have like yeah. first readers or anything like that before you go to like your agent or your editor? I, I'm, I'm trying to do that this time around. I'm trying to do a lot of things different this time around just to like feel better and everything. But no, my funny enough with pizza girl, I wrote it all. I finished it at like three in the morning one day and I was so excited. I like poured myself a little glass of this Johnny Walker blue. Um, I was so tired though. I fell asleep. And when I woke up the next morning, there was like a dead fly in the glass. And I was like, Ooh, bad omen. That's a, that's a good <laughs> omen. <laughs> you think it's, you think it's a good omen? Well, it ended up working out because just later that day, I just looked up some agents that repped people I liked and sent out a few emails. And uh, the first one actually ended up being my agent. Well, see, there you go. It was a good omen. Yeah, apparently. I feel like when anything like that happens, like the it's just best to just default to it's a good omen. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, make it make it positive and whatnot. I um, I I think it's sort of that thing too. It's like looking back, I'm like that is insane that I did that. But there's like a part of me, and it's sort of tied to the, like don't give a fuck mentality of like I talk myself self out of things all the time, and maybe if I had talked myself out of that. I obviously would have still written Pizza Girl, and I have to believe it still would have been published, but there was something maybe about the urgency of it that would have been lost if I tinkered with it too much. How long did it take you to write? Um, The actual writing, a little less than a year, but I had had the idea. I had the first line. Her name was Jenny Hauser, and every Wednesday I put pickles on her pizza. 
um, for about two and a half, three years. Interesting. That's the first thing that came to you was that line? Yeah, yeah, because I was thinking, I'm a, I'm a big line gal, and I love a, for a good banger of a first line. And I was just thinking, I was like, okay, what's the story about? I was like, it's definitely a delivery driver falling into obsession with a customer. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to basically say it from the beginning. Her name, and then something like kind of like weird, a little sexual, definitely intriguing, you know, like pickles on her pizza. What the hell is that? So... I just wanted a grabby line, and it ended up staying the first line. Have you ever had pickles on a pizza? I have, actually. I um, In South Dakota, I have family in North Dakota and Minnesota area, and I was just driving a little bit, and I stopped at this hole in the wall, and they had it on the menu, and it was actually pretty good. I was surprised. I don't know why more places don't do it. Okay, so a couple things. First of mm-hmm. all, like I don't think you should ever put fruit on a pizza. I'm not a pineapple person. <laughs> I am very anti-pineapple. I had an ex that did pineapple pizza exclusively, and I'm convinced that's why ultimately we were never going to work. Yeah, no, it's just uh, that's uh, it's morally wrong. But I think that <laughs> you can put almost anything mm. on a pizza. Like the basic technology of pizza, like dough, tomato sauce, yes. cheese, it's hard to fuck it up. You know, yeah. just about anything on top of that is going to be fine. Yeah, the funniest is that I've been getting so many questions, especially from New Yorkers, like, tell me your favorite place to get a slice, this, this, that. And I was like, I am trash. I would order Domino's sometimes in the city or, you know, I love Little Caesars. All pizza is pretty good to me. I mean, I, 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 I wish I could eat dairy, but I... Uh, Are you I, lactose uh, intolerant? You know, I wasn't until I became a vegan and then it screwed up my whole system. Oh. So, mm. but I, I will still to this day, I'll just take a piece of pizza and just rip the cheese off. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I'm not that like elegant about any of it, but I, you know, I, I like tombstone pizza, like the frozen pizza that you, like I grew up on that. I think that Mm. stuff's good too. Right. Or DiGiorno. Oh, love that guy. (laughs) He's a a hero. Uh, (laughs) so where are you from? You said, yeah, you just mentioned, uh, what is it? South Dakota and Minnesota. Yeah. Split time between there and the LA area. Where in, where in Minnesota? Uh, funny enough, uh, Pelican Rapids, it's an hour out of Fargo, oh, North okay. Dakota. Yeah, so it's like right on the border there. My wife is from Minneapolis. Oh, very cool. So, very cool. I'm, yeah, I've spent some time up there. But then you, you came out to L.A. Yes. Yeah, I currently live in like the Chinatown Echo Park area. Oh, you do? Okay, so you yeah. left New York. I did. I, I miss it, but it felt like time to come back and sort of like I've never lived in L.A. as like a normal adult that makes sense and i just kind of wanted to see how that would how that would look how's it looking not too bad i mean i know this is such a strange uncertain time but i've been trying to be positive about it and you know i mean i'm lucky luckier than most and that i have my health and all my loved ones have their health um so yeah i've been trying to just be as productive and unproductive as i want to if that makes sense like you need to have days i think where you don't I've probably been more productive during COVID than I, oh, yeah. I was always pretty productive. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I've got a lot going on, but I, right. I feel like maybe it focused me or I'm just like, I think I'm kind of a, not a shut in. Like I don't feel lonely <laughs> cause I have a family and mm. there's always chaos in my house. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I know then, what you mean. so it's not like I'm in some sort of like a tower, like Montaigne or something <laughs> like it's, yeah. I'm like, I'm like 10 feet from chaos at all times, but <laughs> I feel like maybe COVID made the way that I tend to operate more socially acceptable somehow because mm. it's sort of, it's sort of enforced, sure. it's kind of enforced it on everybody. Yeah. 
And then I think once it happened, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to lock in because this is going on and nothing's going to change it anytime soon. You know, it just seems like we're locked into this until we get a, you know, crazy pants out of the White House. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I go, I either, I've been going up and I'm, I've been up and down. I'm either also a really good friend during this time or like a really bad friend, you know, cause it's like, I feel like because I've had so much extra time and you can't really go out or do things like that, you're spending more time on the phone or you're zooming and it's caused me and a lot of friends that I wouldn't normally talk to to like reconnect, which has been really nice, you know, and in a really deep level, I think too. Yeah, I think like I think phone calls made a bit of a comeback during the pan or have made oh. a bit of a comeback during the pandemic. Well, because you get Zoom burnout. Like there's something different. Like you're staring at a screen and you're talking, but you're not getting the same pleasure of sitting across from someone. Like it is nice to see a friend and see their face, but sometimes it's like after just a long day, it's sort of nice to just be able to walk around and not look at anything in particular and just talk to someone on the phone. Like I'm really enjoying talking to you right now. You know, yeah. oh, this yeah. is this is nice. Yeah. Are you walking around? I am not. I am not. I was nervous if I walked around, my voice would get shaky, this, this, that. <laughs> Does my voice sound nervous? I'm never sure how my voice sounds. No. Is this your nervous voice? or is I, it, I do uh, feel nervous a little bit. I feel like my voice gets higher mm. when I'm like anxious in some way. Mm. And then maybe it gets like extra low when I'm self-conscious. Mm. Mm. Like I try to be like more... And then hopefully it's somewhere, <laughs> some, somewhere, somewhere in the middle, land somewhere in the middle between anxiety and like, you know, uh, painful self-awareness. No, your podcast voice is good. Sometimes I, I sometimes joke that I use your podcast to help me fall asleep at night because it's like I get some good information, but you also it's always very soothing, good level. And so I can I can go to sleep well, too. Hey, everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer or if you just love literature I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Uh, so, okay. So when did you like, tell me, like divide it up for me. You live in the mm -hmm. upper, upper Midwest from when to when, and then when do you get out to LA for your, I guess your high school years? Yeah. Around that time. And I, I went to college out here too. Um, and then I moved to New York, uh, to really pursue writing actively, you know? I was a business major at the beginning of college, but it made me really unhappy. And I was really honestly thinking about dropping out just because I didn't really see the point, you know, <laughs> and that I think my lack of ambition made me feel bad, if that makes sense, because it's like with I don't know, I was basically having what I understand now is like millennial burnout, you know, but at the time it just felt like 
I was just this huge loser that couldn't keep up with all my like beautiful, attractive, smart classmates. Um, but it really was just that I, I was studying stuff that I didn't have any interest in. Like I just wanted to be a business major because I wanted to make money, you know, have a pair of Jordans that matched every one of my outfits, you know, pool, shit like that. Um, but yeah, I changed to English and it really felt like it sounds so cheesy, like a dorky thing, but it really felt like I found my people and like I was excited to go to class. That that didn't happen often for me. Okay, so let me just because I never majored in business. Uh <laughs> Good what call. Do, what is it like? What what is it like to major in business? What do they t- what do you do? You have to like sit around like reading case studies or I I will say I I ditched a lot. I really wasn't very involved. The thing I remember though, there was the one fun thing I remember. We had this management class and we would always do fun exercises. Or he did a funny one once. I particularly remember this one where the professor tapped a beat out and then he had all of us like write down what we thought the beat was. And of course, no one got it. And it was like the Mario song. And he just paralleled it as this fun example of like, see, even though you think something clear, you should be, you know, it's not always clear to everyone else. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there was a lot of cute stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I didn't love my classmates. The material didn't really stick for me. I don't know. (laughs) And you said you felt bad about your lack of ambition. Yeah, I it felt like I I wanted to want to be ambitious, if that makes sense. I kind of I can totally relate to that. I've talked about this, I think on the show more more than once. It's like this like this complicated relationship with I ha- with, that I have with the word ambition and yeah. what it stands for and how yeah. uh, and you know, you're a sports fan, so we can mm, we yeah. can we can use that paradigm to sort of uh yeah. drill drill down into it, but like yeah. I th- I think of uh Whenever they talk about quarterbacks in mm. professional football, right. if you watch enough sports media, there's a there's a trope where yeah. like the sportscasters will lionize the competitive mania of the great quarterback and they will right. talk talk about how like this grown man when he like loses a game of monopoly <laughs> or like ping pong, like throws a temper tantrum and like whips right. whips a paddle and like <laughs> takes a chunk out of the drywall and you know like right. storms out of the room and like this is this is considered a positive story meant to underscore yeah. <laughs> the the competitive fire and to me it sounds like mental illness i know it sounds just like wow you you need to talk to someone you need to figure out a way to deal with that yeah. i think that's why it's like i kind of like if we're staying on the sports thing i remember it's like i played basketball competitively for so long and it just made me feel almost ill towards the end of it because it's like I wasn't even it wasn't even that I wanted to win. It wasn't even that I was enjoying winning, but I like the losing just made me feel terrible, you know, and I just hated that I was putting myself in this position that I felt like I had to go, go, go. And the best I would feel if I won was just this sort of like, oh, thank God it's over, you know, and it's weird to feel that way just in your life. <laughs> you know what made me feel worse? Mm. When we, I like a couple times, I was a soccer player when I was younger. Oh yeah. Mm. When we would tie, mm, God. <laughs> and I'd be like, "Well, what the fuck was the point of that? Like, at least let me know right. how to feel. Like, I just had no. Yeah. I hated being in that. Like, I, I, yeah. I either wanted to feel terrible about myself for losing, <laughs> or I wanted to feel like that, like you know, that caffeine high or the sugar high of winning. And uh, yeah, totally. When you tie, like, and as a sports fan, I'm the same way. Like, that there should mm. be no ties. Like. <laughs> In competitive soccer, there you have a shootout and you decide a winner. You don't have a tie right. at the end of regulation. I think yeah, that's fuck that. yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> but, 
Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the, that's what's the so confusing thing about ambition. Like at least in sports uh, outside of a tie, there's like very clear ways of how everything is going to go with like ambition. You know, you should be feeling it. But if you don't have a concrete goal, it just kind of turns into this uneasy chest feeling that you're kind of carrying around. Yeah, I just remember in college, that's when it, I mean, I was never a great athlete. Like I didn't, mm. flo- I didn't like thrive as an athlete in <laughs> high school. I played like some tennis. I was the kicker on my, <laughs> on the football team for like a year. I was no good. Nice. I missed the only field goal I ever tried. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think if I were not, I was at this big, huge public high school, you know, with like 700 people in my graduating class. So right. uh, there's like 12 spots in the basketball team. Like, mm-hmm. You know, you have to be really good to yeah, make, to make the it. team. I was yeah. somewhere in the middle, so I wasn't going to make it, but I wasn't like a bad athlete. <laughs> and I just remember, um, like, maybe it's no accident. Like, I went off to college and, you know, I was like smoking pot. I was like, why am, Why do people care about this so much? Like, <laughs> I just, I, I got, you know, I don't know if it, if pot had, you know, if it was that much of a direct correlation, but, you know, just that time in my life where I was right. re- reevaluating things and I was like, this is silliness. Like what is going on mm. with the way that we relate to one another through, right. through this like competitive lens and, and uh, it still bothers mm. me. Yeah. I think it's especially complicated for my generation because like we have had like this, this fucks with me all the time when Facebook reminds me that I've had it for like 14 years or whatever. Or they've been like, remember this from 11 years ago. Um, and you're like, no, please don't remind me. Yeah. But like, kind of this like weirdness of like we've always had so many ways to compare ourselves to our peers you know like i may i ask how old you are oh i'm 27 i just turned 27 in april god you're so such a baby and you've got a, <laughs> you've got a novel out on a major imprint look at you god it's it's uh <laughs> it's definitely a lot i feel very i feel very lucky yeah, truly it's fantastic and so uh yeah so you you're at the young you're at the young end of the millennial range right yes i am yeah so you're almost what what's what comes after millennials gen z it's gen z i believe yeah yeah it's like because it's funny my brother is six years younger than me so we're firmly in separate generations and we talk a lot about like sort of how different that looks and how we're different and all that stuff. Does he have it worse than you? Or like who's like I feel like that's the competition. Uh, I don't know. I definitely what basically what they talk about is that like maybe like simply put like millennials were sold the dream and they believed it. Gen Z's never believed it is kind of the idea. Uh that being said though it's like the dream is bullshit and I remember I was hanging out with my I used to babysit my brother sometimes and I still hang with him and his friends and I remember I was home from college and I was hanging with them and i was just shook that these high school kids were so vulnerable and open and talking about things that like me and my friends weren't talking about in high school i don't know i i i like young people (laughs) yeah i do too i think that uh i just think in general in any generation like you get to people before they're spoiled yeah Uh, and i don't mean spoiled meaning they get everything they want i just mean no no before like (laughs) life like just, yeah, you know, yeah. rings the joy out of them and scrambles right. their brains. You know, there's something kind of great and heartbreaking and beautiful about uh, that little window of time in life when you have yeah. everything in front of you. And, yeah. you know, you, you, I think you can have maybe uh, more confidence or mm-hmm. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you're less wobbly about having like really strong ideals. Because yeah. 
you haven't had them challenged or stomped on maybe i don't know you're you're it's it's got to go back and forth on it it's like i was simultaneous simultaneously more afraid and less afraid to fail too you know i just i i felt bouncier somehow you know what i mean it's kind of that feeling of like the looney tunes anvil is going to hit me but i'm going to pop right back up after right. you know um but yeah i mean that's why it's it felt so key for me to write pizza girl before that experience like that age and that feeling was too far in my re- rearview w- window you know i already feel like i've forgotten so much and i haven't even had my 10 year reunion well and i you know i, I it's different for people who grew up online in, mm. like that's just the you know your world and right uh, you never knew any different. And I think having social media just be reality, mm. um, that's the difference with, I'm 44. So that means right. I'm, you know, I'm significantly, I don't know, am I two generations <laughs> removed from you? Who knows? Uh, but, <laughs> we have a similar spirit, Brad. I can feel it. Well, no, here's the thing. I'm, I, this is the point that I'm getting at yeah. is that my generation, when we graduated high, uh, college, everybody right. went out. It was the first dot-com bubble. And like mm. all these people in my graduating class went out and like got these jobs in tech right. and like made like, you know, a bazillion dollars. None of that right. ever touched me. I never came, <laughs> I never, I never came within like sniffing. I wasn't interested in any of that, but right. I did, I did not ride that wave. I had no such mm-hmm. luck. I didn't have any instincts right. to like, so I kind of feel like maybe I find it easier to relate to a generation mm. that's sort of been on the periphery of, you know, on the outside looking in when it comes to the dream ride or that wave or whatever, right. like that to right. me is much more relatable. And frankly, I think it's always been the norm. Mm. Um, I yeah. think, I think maybe there was a stronger, like a, a broader base of belief in the possibility of it in mm-hmm. previous generations. And maybe people have gotten a little wiser or more cynical, Right. but statistically speaking in terms of the dream being realized, I don't think it was ever that, well, you know what? I shouldn't say that because I think like, you know, my parents' generation, the baby boomers, Mm. you could have a single income family and own a home and send your kids to college. And you could own a home and send your kids to college while working like a union factory job for like a brief period of a couple decades after World War II. Like that's my, my mom went to the university of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. And like, I think it was like a grand a semester. Or something, you know what I mean? Something insanely low. And she thought that was expensive. Right. At the time, you know, yeah, that's right. My parents went to Louisiana State University and nice. My mom, uh, my mom came from a family of nine kids and they all wow. went to school, you know, and mm. it's because it was cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, uh, my mom was the first, I mean, she has siblings, but they were all the first generation to go to college and do that. She has a funny story actually of her job. She worked well she was in college where she was the first one she was fired from it. It was a diner and she had just immigrated and she just was so fascinated and so uh, like awestruck that they had so much ice available because she grew up in a village that, that that was like a rarity. So she was putting ice in everything, like putting ice in orange juice and in glasses of milk and just sort of messing up a lot of orders like that. So eventually her boss just let her go. He's like, I don't think you're going to last here. <laughs> uh, where, where did she immigrate from? She immigrated from a small village outside of Seoul, Korea. Oh, okay. And what, yeah. what, what prompted that? Just wanting to come over and... Well, that's one of the only one of the only true parts of my novel or like really based off of my life is like the story about how the mother came from Korea because her dad's uncle had a business 
in Champaign-Urbana and was like, this is the promised land. You've got to come to America. You've got to come to this town. And so they, as a family, her and all my siblings immigrated there when she was about 17. Oh, wow. And that was easy to do? Yeah, but not as hard as it is today, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> when the doors when the doors are wide open. Yeah. yeah, she has a funny story just about how also like how she was baffled how cheap bananas were. That was also a delicacy for her. I thought, I want to say I read, it was like, I don't know, it's one of those stories that was going around the internet that like bananas were, were done. Like they were dying out. <laughs> done. Not- <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I, I felt like I read some story like they were going to go extinct because of climate change or something. Well, I mean, as a personal taste level, that doesn't make me too sad. I've never been a banana fiend, you know? But have you put them on a pizza is the question. (laughs) Shit. I might have to try that one. (laughs) The worst dish I ever made, this was when I was definitely delivering pizzas and stoned. I made a hot dog salad with maple syrup dressing. It was as bad as it sounds. It was not good. Sounds sounds like a nightmare. Oh man! What is a what is a hot dog salad like? Do you have greens or is it just like just like iceberg lettuce with hot dog um, chunks? Like that's see that's the Midwestern girl in you right yeah. there. The iceberg lettuce, yeah. like just the com- <laughs> the completely nutritionally void lettuce that like allows you to like act like you're having a leafy green. Yeah, it just makes you feel better. Like I feel like too like taco salads in the Midwest mm, with the tortilla, God, the tortilla. Gross, gross, gross. gross. Yeah. can't do it. And then like. What's the one with cottage cheese? That's the one that really grosses me out the most where it's like, oh God, I forget what the name of it is. I'm thinking of like ambrosia about? or what are you, what are you thinking of? No, I'm thinking of like a salad that involves like a grapefruit and, or maybe, I don't know. Either it's way, just, I can't do cottage cheese either. Oof. No, no, me neither. <laughs> I, why would anyone have even consider? I consider myself disgusting. very uneasy with food too. Like I still make fried bologna sandwiches. Love that shit. Really? Yes. I'll send you a pic. It's actually they it's a good low budget meal. Is it actually fr- I mean you're frying bologna? Yes. Yes. You have a fryer? No, I mean well not fry. I mean you just sort of pan sear it. They just call it fried bologna sandwiches. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, that's why I'm, I'm just I, I didn't know if you were like actually dipping it into a vat of oil. That would actually probably be pretty good. I should try that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that there you go again though. Like we talked about how anything can be good on pizza. I think just about anything can right. be good if you fry it. Mhm. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think, you know, to have a home fryer is a level of commitment that one has to. Yeah, there's other things. The thing I want most in my next apartment, me and my roommate were talking about this. I want that fridge where you can like it has an ice dispenser on the outside. You know what I'm talking about? Like I can put my cup like it has a little thing where you can just ice will come out of like if you hit a lever. Yeah, no, I I hear you. I'm like I'm thinking about like the water quality in Los Angeles, though. I always get worried about it. (laughs) Fair enough. <laughs> I'm parent. We have two different water filters at my house. I'm like, I just, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to drink any weird chemicals. <laughs> got en- I've got enough chemicals. I'm breathing probably living here. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So your mom comes over from Korea. She's in Champaign-Urbana. She's first, mm-hmm. first generation and she's going to college. And then yeah. what about your dad? Where's he from? Uh, he's from Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. Um, he was a, uh, doctoral candidate at University of Illinois and they've met there. Oh, okay. So do you, do you yeah. have a writerly parent? I don't. It's so fun. You know, it's like my dad doesn't read anything but his sci-fi paperbacks, which I, you know, of course, as an act of rebellion as a kid, I pretended I can't stand and I'm now finding my way to, I'm like, oh, sci-fi is really cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, my mom is the artistic one. She is a fashion designer and was always encouraging me to read as a kid. Books were like the only thing I could ask her for that she would buy me without question. 
you know. Yeah, that's our policy with our with our kids. Yeah, I think it's a good one. I'm gonna I'm gonna if I have kids, I'm doing that yeah, too. Yeah, you can always have a book, and uh, yeah, it's worked out so you know so far. They don't ask for too many, you know. I, I guess it could back <laughs> they could could backfire. They they really go hog wild, but they you know they can't read that fast. Uh, right. But what kind of fashion does your mom do? Is she, is she designing like uh, dresses and stuff? And Yeah, it's, she does. Uh, it's basically like they call it junior fashion. So for like teenagers, a little bit older, a lot, lot of young adult stuff. She, My mom is very fashionable and I feel so bad because I know she had me, her, her first and only daughter, and was probably so excited for me to take uh, you know, follow her footsteps. And I just, I, I'm so uninterested in it. I like colors, but <laughs> you're like, mom, I just want to wear some Jordans and some, and some sweat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? It's the thing is though, I love my mom and I give her so much credit because it's like, I know she was expecting a typical quote unquote girly girl. Um, and she got me, <laughs> but she also did come to everyone's every single one of my basketball games. She'd always get off work. She'd always go over there. And of course, after watching me for even like a week, she started having opinions on everything. She's like, hey, Jean, I think your shot needs a little more oomph. And I was like, oh, is that the term? Mom? Well, she sounds like a good parent. Yeah. No, she. I, I'm very lucky. And you have siblings? Did you say something? I have a, I have a little brother. His, uh, his name's Ryan. I named him after a park I liked. He's a good kid. Okay. So, and where, where in LA did you guys move to and what prompted it Like when you guys left the Midwest? We grew up in the South Bay area. Uh, I went to Palos Verdes Peninsula High School, nice high school, good area. And yeah, and then I ended up going to SC. Dude, Palos Verdes is so beautiful. I don't it. I don't like the vibe of it, but it's gorgeous. My God. I, like I hadn't, I've spent maybe uh, the total of two hours, three hours, you know, because I went on a, um, during pandemic, I have been trying to think of things to do with my kids that were safe. So we would just like put, yeah. we just put them in the car and like drive to places in Los Angeles that we haven't <laughs> been before. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to and drive through. Yeah, we drove on uh, the you know along the the coast road, you know whatever it's mm. called, Palos Verdes. CCH or Pal- Palos Verdes Drive, something like that. I think that's what. Yeah, I think up there it's called Palos Verdes Drive, and it was just like shockingly beautiful. I couldn't believe I hadn't been there before. It was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. So that's a nice place to grow up. I mean, were you, was it culture shock coming from, you know, South Dakota and suddenly being? Definitely. I was, I, I was younger. So I, I, it would have been worse if it, we waited longer, I think. So I feel lucky in that way, you know. Uh, but I, I, you know, I always, I love going home to the Minnesota, North Dakota area now. In the summer, it's the best. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous out there. I love a lake. I could fish all day. I have a lot of old man habits in that way. You like to fish? I do. Do you fish now in like California? No, I tried once and it just depressed me so much. It was somewhere in Irvine area. It was like a man-made lake. Oh, God. And I, I watched <laughs> them as we were going out on the boat, me and my best friend. We watched a truck dump a bunch of fish into the lake and it just uh, made me so sad. Yeah, no, Ugh, it's not good. God, yeah. I'm sure you could get, if you, go in, you went up into like towards Yosemite or something, you could find yeah, some good sure. fishing. For sure. Um, so you're growing up in Palos Verdes and then you said you went to USC? Yeah. And so, okay, I can see this now. You're like towing the waters of business school. Like it's be- <laughs> business school sounds nightmarish enough just on the face of it, but then business school at USC sounds like really creepy. It was a lot. I think it's just, it was just tough because it's like, I mean, you know, and I go over to my book a little bit too, just sort of like you have a parent and uh, parents that work so hard for you and you want to do right by them too. I, I wanted to, I, to just have a nice normal life. Like go to a good college and get a good job and you know but if you keep thinking about it you're like when does it stop (laughs) when do I have to stop working so hard or like or trying to 
shove this round like the circle into what is it the like the square peg into the circular whatever whatever just i don't know just trying to make something work that isn't for me i think what we we we're coming back to right here gene is just to give less less of a fuck that's exactly that's the recurring the recurring (laughs) theme of this episode is just everybody needs to take it down a notch Mm -hmm. and just care a little bit less but i I understand pick pick the right things to care about for sure that's what yeah that's what we mean but i think that um i think that's like admirable to feel a sense of responsibility especially at that age Mm. um to one's parents like i don't think i necessarily had enough of that i think i didn't Mm. didn't fully appreciate the level right. of uh, good fortune or just like good parenting that I had, you know, like it was just, you know, I just get to go to college. Everybody goes to college, <laughs> you know, like, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, sadly it was kind of like that, but, um, mm. you know, I, I went off and dicked around. I sort of wish I would have done a gap year. I kind of needed a break. You know, I actually really, I, I wish they would require that, frankly, you know, well, I really do. I think it's like, there's a lot of logic in the, in the idea that after like what, you know, 15 years of consecutive schooling where you're up right. at seven o'clock in the morning or whatever. <laughs> and you're, yeah. you're in back-to-back classes for eight hours after 15 years of that, like memorization and test taking and Scantron right. forms or whatever it was like, why would you not want to break? Like, I think it's normal to be tired at that point. Like I, I don't, well, that's, that's why people have like quarter life crises right after they graduate from college. You know, they've been in a very structured way of living for most of their lives and then they're being like okay you're done do whatever you want now <laughs> right, you know right it's like okay yeah. and, and what is that supposed to be unless you're yeah. a business school major who like had, right. you know has <laughs> like, like there is a part of me i think that as much as i like to rag on business school like obviously there's mm-hmm. nothing inherently wrong with it no, and no. you can do you can be a you can be a um you know what's the word an ethical business person i mean that's it's an... you had to search for that term yeah it's not very common <laughs> i have a hard what's that word ethical oh yeah, yeah ethical um but no you know like there's a lot of different ways to to do life and you got to find what works for you yeah. um but i i think part of it is that there are people who are unethical which kind of makes you cynical but then there's also a part of me if i'm being honest that is a little bit envious of right. people who are the round pegs Oh, and absolutely. Like they go, I, I, they, God. they go God. out, they go out and they're like, oh yeah, this is great. I can't wait to be like an entrepreneur. And like, I can't wait to climb the corporate ladder. And you know, I want to be, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh shit. Well, that's really lucky to have such a nice, easy trans transition. Yeah. I, sometimes it's like, you know, and I don't, God, I, I don't mean to sound like a douche at all, but you just meet someone that has like very simple, clear cut goals like that. And that always just made me so jealous. Like people who know exactly what they want. They're like, yeah, well, I'm going to graduate and then I'm going to work there and I'll marry my boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whoever, you know, and that's that. And I'm like, wow. Who are these monsters? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I don't know many of them. Yeah, so. right. I, yeah, it's not like I, and like then I think there's the, the cynical part of me that's sort of eye rolling and just being like, you are hanging on so tight. You control freak. You need to know it. <laughs> like, I don't even trust it. And yet there are probably some people who do have their shit that together. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I go back and forth. I'm like, man, are you just really so much better at holding it together than me? Or is this truly everything that you want? Either way. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, the part of me is just really resisting the idea that anybody could possibly know, but maybe they do. Maybe they do. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, I don't want to presume on, on behalf yeah. of somebody else, but I think hey, whatever, whatever gets you through your days, you know? Yeah. And I think, yeah, exactly. And I think that, uh, 
you know, on the flip side, if we're going to try to find like the silver lining in being like wired for a writerly existence, which is to right. say, it's a hard life. Like, I don't think, mm. I mean, I guess you can get a ride. Occasionally there's like the ride where a book sells a bajillion copies or, you right. know, you become like Stephen King or something. And yeah, my mom will send me things like Stephen King buys this $2 million home. And I was like, mom, you have not read my writing. It's <laughs> right. never going to happen to me. And like, like it gets like 15,000 words a day or something. Yeah. You know, it's just like, Oh god. my God, you know, like, um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the positive side of having this kind of wiring where you're quirky or something for lack of a better word. Uh, and I don't like that word, but that like, I feel like that gets tagged on people who where it's like, we don't mm. quite know where you fit, but you're interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll give you a Q word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not seeing a really high upside for you, but we, we like you. So you're yeah. quirky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, you know, if you have the endurance you know, and mm-hmm. a little bit of luck, I guess, goes into being mm-hmm. able to have the endurance. But if you have the endurance and you stick it out and you're able to carve out a career, I think that that career is mm-hmm. is like the awesomest, even if it's not like the most lucrative or traditionally yeah. successful. Like that's sort of the dream, I think, for me yeah. is to try to find a way to, you know, to carve something out on my own terms that is an expression of my highest values and is also an yeah, expression absolutely. of an expression of the, the, the quirk. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I remember this happened like a year ago. I had sold my book and like the month after I sold my book, I was just such a wreck. Like I just knew I, it was that thing of, I was like, I should be so happy. And that somehow made me so sad. I was just so nervous that I just had made a huge mistake and that everyone was going to hate my book. And I just, (laughs) yeah, I just wasn't sleeping well. I was waking up sweaty, all the time. And my friend was working over at anonymous content. And she said, she's like, dude, my friend read your book and like loves it. I was like, Oh, wow, that's super nice. She's like, you should come out for drinks with us. So I went out with her and a bunch of assistants. And we eventually started talking about my book. And it opened up a conversation people were talking about like their early like just sexuality, sort of the way they fell into like their own and how they're still considering it. And it was just kind of that moment where I had to go to the bathroom, I got a little worked up, it just was like, so moving. I was like, Oh, my God, my book, started like this really cool conversation that's right that's right you know yeah no that's yeah. that's awesome and I, it's great yeah. that you it's great that you had that moment and that you recognized it when it was happening totally it was like just a really simple lovely reminder you're like oh yeah that's why i like to do this because it's easier just like man especially when you're not a stephen king who's writing fifteen thousand words a day you're just like what is why do i like beat myself up over this why do i work so hard on this well yeah and I, I i obviously i sort of live with this show at the intersection of of uh you know writing and publishing and publicity you know so right, I, i'm at right. the, i'm at this weird sad st- yeah. sad street corner <laughs> <laughs> Great <laughs> and, mental image. yeah just me just hanging out here with a microphone you with your thumb out, you with your thumb out. <laughs> well just people coming to me you know in mm. in various states of uh either elation or duress mm. or you know i think people sometimes spend obviously years on a book and then they get to this right. this moment where it's out and they're doing the rounds and then they're looking at sales and just going oh my god like <laughs> i spent six years on of my life on this thing and it sold like you know 400 copies mm. um yeah. like am i am i doomed did i just waste my life you know this kind of thing right. but right. i think a couple of things first of all 
uh, a lot of times books have slow burn. You never know what's going to mm. happen, you know. And oh yeah, I feel like I sometimes read a book. I'm like, whoa, why didn't I read about read this book five years ago when it came out? Right. You know. Right. It's I incredible. mean, there's so many books. It's impossible for people to keep up. And yeah. I think that like the sales number is never an accurate reflection of the quality of the work. It doesn't have any real. Mm, agree. I mean, sometimes agree. it has a correlation, but it's not like some sort of rule. Yeah. And then I think too of a line from uh, a Steve Almond who's like really great. He's just great mm. on lines, but he's great about craft and stuff like that. But right. I, I think it might be from his Stoner book, but he's talking about, <laughs> um, I'm talking about William Stoner, the novel, the, yeah. the novel Stoner, yeah. but he's, uh, yeah, I like yeah, where I like, why I, laugh, I was going to say, I like where I like where your head went as soon as I said Stoner, <laughs> but yeah. he's talking about how, um, it's very easy as a writer to make the mistake of thinking that you're writing your book so that the world will know, who you are when yeah. the real role of the writer is to help the reader know who he or she is. That's uh, a beautiful simple way to put it. Really. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's reflected in the story that you were telling where you're sitting at that yeah. table and all these people are sort of finding yeah. themselves in like they're, they're finding themselves reflected in your work and they're finding yeah. not only that reflection, but they're finding some language for mm. the reflection that they didn't previously have. Do you know what I'm saying? No, totally. I mean, the best texts I've gotten and messages and phone calls I've had since people have read my book are when they tell me like where they read my book or the experience they had reading my book. I had a funny one. My friend texted me. This girl never reads. Mayuri, love you, girl. She texted me, started your book on the toilet. Perfect place. Okay. You know, and it's just like funny and sweet, though, to think about like, I don't know, just me existing in her day. I had another friend who read my book on the beach, you know, or like someone was in a mountain retreat. It's simple stuff like that. No, I, I always, uh, I'm, in fact, for anybody listening to this podcast, <laughs> please either tweet at other PPL or email me <laughs> letters at other PPL.com where take a picture of where you are when you're listening to this episode and then send it to me. <laughs> I used to ask, Oh, I love that. Yeah. I used to ask people like, I, why is it that the location of consumption is so interesting? <laughs> I don't know. That is, that is such an interest. That is such a funny question. I mean, I did this interview the other day where they asked me what my favorite library was. And it's not necessarily my favorite library, but like the Los Angeles Central Library, I have so many memories all through the years of 18 to 23 of just making that same bike down there, sitting like in the same place I'd usually sit and just reading, 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 reading. Like I really think I've read like maybe half of the books in my life in that library, you know? I, fi and, I find that that, I that story... Um, not necessarily that it took place in a library, though it's a great place. Yeah. It's a great place for it to happen. But yeah. the story of a very intense, concentrated period of reading mm. in yeah. early adulthood is often um, a part of a writer's bio. Yeah, and it's a good way to put it. I mean, it's not that you you ever stop reading, but you might not mm -hmm. have the same luxury of time that you had when you were in college or something or very true. You know, I did a huge amount of reading in my early 20s when I was like living at home after college. And I was just sort oh, of, yeah? I was like floundering and didn't know what to do. Yeah. And then I was like, actually, this is perfect. Like, I like living yeah. at home. I, yeah. I can just like read and then like, you know, I didn't have to, it kind of took some of the pressure off, you know, and it was, mm. uh, it was, it was awesome. So, but I feel like you need that. You have to have uh, some kind of like incubation period where you're you're getting tons of input in order for 
yeah. you to be able to kind of like process your influences and, and, yeah. you know, create your own voice. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about the relationship, like the main relationship of your book, um, mm. between pizza girl and, um, oh God, now my brain is, is it Jenny? It's Jenny. It Hauser. is Jenny. Yeah. It is Jenny. Jenny Hauser, the one who, I'm already forgetting too. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like, I was going to say Jane, but Jane is the pizza girl, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So like we have Jane, we have, but I always call her just pizza girl, which I, I think. I call her pizza girl too, actually. Yeah. It's way more fun to call her pizza girl. So pizza girl. Like a superhero. Yeah, exactly. So pizza girl and, uh, Jenny uh, have like mm -hmm. a pretty like big age disparity Right. But I found that their relationship was really touching. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think like, I think about uh, the way that females relate to each other, like, like independent of like amorous feelings, but just friendship, just the way that like women relate to one another. The right. old, the older I get, the more envious I am of it. <laughs> um, I know that it can sometimes be intense though, too. Like sometimes it can, totally. it can go kind of batty in ways that maybe guy friendships <laughs> don't but guy friend guy friendships are so fucking dumb most of the time <laughs> <laughs> i uh i don't know i just I, I, I like you can find some good ones i'm not saying you can't find good guy friendships right, right. but yeah. like i'm always the guy i i i prefer to hang out with women i think in general oh yeah like as a as like a hang i think it's more interesting <laughs> to talk to women than it is to men generally speaking right um, but yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been happy to see the change, like a new manliness sort of sprouting up and men like, I mean, you're, you're a very sensitive, cool guy to talk to, you know what I mean? And that I feel like just sometimes it's like guys haven't been given permission to be as open as women have necessarily, you know, not to say it's easy to be a woman by any standards, but at least emotionally, you know, maybe well, at early adolescence. I see it through the lens of, of parenthood. Um, yeah, like yeah. the way that moms relate to one another versus the way that dads relate to one another is really striking. <laughs> um, and you know, I'm, and I say this like, not as a criticism of, um, this is a criticism of me. Like I'm probably like the prime offender, um, <laughs> like antisocial dad. Who's not good at like, <laughs> I'm not going to be the guy to like organize poker night. I'm just not going to do it. You know, right. like, I don't even know how to play poker, but, um, <laughs> You know, some, I, I can teach you one of these days. Yeah, <laughs> and we can go. We can go fishing together, you and me. Oh, perfect. Go down yeah, to we'll the, do a bunch of old man things. Yeah, we'll go down to the L.A. River and we'll try to pull out some uh, whatever. Catch a boot. <laughs> yeah, right. Catch, <laughs> catch something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like maybe uh, maybe when I you know when it comes to parenthood, that's where it's become like most striking to me, the way in which uh, the moms seem to be so industrious and warm-hearted about building community and supporting one another. Mm. And, uh, I envy it. Mm. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is kind of connected, I think to pizza right. girl and Jenny because yeah. pizza girl is, is, uh, pregnant. She's like, what, like 11 mm -hmm. weeks pregnant. And then yeah. Jenny is like, what, you know, 20 years older than she is and a mom mm -hmm. and sort of at an advanced, um, like a more advanced phase of uh, womanhood and motherhood right. and all this kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. and yet they have this bond that to me is totally understandable and relatable in a way that doesn't get talked about often enough in mm. a reasonably benign context. Like usually, right. and maybe this is a gendered thing too, but like usually when there's like a guy my age who's friends with somebody who's younger, mm -hmm. it's like, Ooh, who's the creeper, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but I find I find I have a lot of relationships with people, like friendships with people in their twenties, like a handful. And yeah. I totally enjoy it. Like I love uh, yeah. the perspective of youth. Like I think there's a part of me that's going to always want to be friends with people who are significantly younger than I am because I have some sort of almost superstitious faith <laughs> in youth, kind of like tied to what we were talking about earlier. How like you know the right. the unspoiled vantage of youth, even though it lacks the wisdom of the quote unquote wisdom of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tend to trust like the kids. More than more than I trust, like all the adults who have had time to like become C- CEOs and senators and stuff. Like the, you know, people when they get to that point, I think it's all lost. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, with their relationship too, it's just like it's like that thing. It's also there's so much complicated feelings tied up in it too. It's like it's not completely unsexual, but there is this sort of mothering going on. But there's also just pure friendship. Um, and they're both like kind of called to the void, if that makes sense too. you know, like agents of chaos. Well, and I think like, eh, I mean, I don't know. I think you can be, just be friends with somebody, but if you're really close to somebody, yeah. if like you feel a strong connection yeah. with anybody, isn't there always some element of, of sexual? I, I think so. <laughs> right. I mean, like, let's yeah. be real about it. Like, even if you're like, you can be happily coupled but if you're friends with, like, if I'm friends with some guy, well, actually, you know what? I don't want to screw my friend, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you can feel like, I think that's the, like, the thing. It's like there are so many complicated feelings that you feel in a really sort of intense, deep friendship, you know, and it's hard to put a name on them all the time. That's right. Know? That's right. It's like yeah. there are like unnameable things that are yeah. like sort of like, uh. I view them as like just sort of tender, sort of, I guess, squishy, for lack of a better word, feelings. Like just sort of, you, they feel very, you feel very goopy about yeah. someone. I'm not making this sound great. No, no, I was gonna, say, I was gonna say permutations of affection, which is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe even less, like a, you know, an even less attractive way to put it. But it is like, it is like there is a lot of unnameable about intimate relationships of any kind. Right. Um, and I think too, there's also this, uh, this. You know, just that the struggle of knowability or or, mm. uh, or unknowability. You know, like yeah. wanting to sort of like cross that bridge and like be, um, like to sort of, like even to sort of like fully inhabit somebody else's perspective or yeah. even their life. Like I think you know we've all gone through phases where you feel that pull and it's never doable entirely. Yeah, it's really it's really hard to know someone, um, and there's so many things to confuse love for. You know. It's like more than anything, Pete's girl's kind of falling off a cliff and Jenny's just like kind of the first branch that she has been able to hold on to. So did you, I mean, did you, uh, like, did you have like a precedent for a relationship like that with that kind of age gap? Like, have you ever had a friendship in your life with somebody who was significantly mm. older than you? Um, I've had friends who are older, but this, this relationship was one born purely out of fiction, Mostly just because I did want to make sort of a complicated relationship kind of about like two people in very different places of their lives needing things from each other, though. You know what I mean? Where Pizza Girl is not a mother yet and this mother figure appears to her and sort of as an example of like what she could maybe become, you know. And finally, beyond that, it's just someone that seems to be a bigger mess than she is, someone that can need her instead of her who feels like the person that's been needing constantly for the past like 18 years of her life. And, um, for Jenny, it's, it's, 
complicated too, but in some ways it's sad, but Pizza Girl could be anyone. She's she's also flailing. So okay, so how long did it take you to have that level of understanding of these two characters and their dynamic? Like was it something mm-hmm. that you came out of the box with or is it something that like only towards the end of the writing of the book did you get your head fully wrapped around it? Or God, yeah. It, it's it, yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think sometimes why it's like I, I get tripped up when people ask me how long it took to work on the book. Like saying a year feels almost dishonest in that like, you know, I had to fail a lot of times on a bunch of different short stories and a bunch of different things I was working on to get to Pizza Girl. You know, like it's not like I it is a cute story saying I finished the novel and then just sent it out to my soon-to-be agent, and it ended up working out. But, you know, there was a lot that happened before that, like a lot of short stories I was writing that just weren't quite clicking. Although, you know, characters were forming and ideas were forming, and I was getting closer to talking about the things that I wanted to talk about, you know? Sometimes I did, like, was there any kind of avoidance, like, when you were, when you finally got down to the writing of Pizza Girl, Mm -hmm. were were there areas of it that you might have been resisting that like when, yeah. you, when you finally like went there, you're like, okay, let's do this. And then lo and behold, this is the one that worked. Yeah. I mean, the, the big crazy one I've talked about and what actually shocks a lot of people uh, is that it was going to be Pizza Boy for the longest time. You know, like when I, I'm, I'm openly gay at this point in my life, but I wasn't for a really long time. And I just had a lot of trouble even writing um, female queer narrators It just made me I just wasn't ready to go there yet. I wasn't ready to write a perspective close to my own. Um, and I think once I got more comfortable with that and once I became more comfortable with myself, it just really opened up my writing. And it helped just me write voices I felt like that were a little more honest and, I don't know, more interesting, frankly. It makes perfect sense in hindsight, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's so funny. In hindsight, you just almost want to like shake that 20-year-old kid and be like, wake up, you're great. <laughs> Yeah. Just be you. Right. <laughs> write, write what you want to write, you know, but I, I wasn't ready. When did you, like, did your uh, family know? Like, when did you come out? Like, it wasn't with this book, was it? You know what? It, it, this book opened up the conversation again. Um, you know, I'm a really private person um, by nature, and I, it's been always the thing that me and my mom haven't seen eye to eye on. We're so close in so many ways, but she has had a hard time with the gay thing and not like necessarily because of any sort of like homophobia just sort of the worry that my life would be more difficult or you know that I'd have to work harder or you know just the things she was hoping that I wouldn't have to do as a American you know um so yeah it's the book reopened the conversation and it's gotten just it keeps getting better warmer and warmer that's great. Yeah. No, it's it's awesome. I, I was really worried about her reading the book, actually. My mom always likes when I call her after I've read something and I tell her about the book. Um, but this is like the first book she's read in a while. And she read it really quickly in like a day. And that was she sent me a nice email. I'm, I'm going to save that one. That's awesome. And yeah. I feel like uh, I was talking to somebody on the show recently. I'm going to forget who it was. <laughs> but I want to say it was a gay author who yeah. was like, we, we were talking about this sort of dynamic and coming out and... Uh, the author was basically like, if you're a parent and you pay a reasonable amount of attention to your child, <laughs> yeah. you've got to know yeah. that your child is gay mm-hmm. from a pretty young age. Like, do you agree with that sentiment? I don't know. I get, it, it's tough because, I mean, I, I joke with my friends about this. I was just doing such 
queer shit for so long. Like, I was the only girl on the baseball team, you know, and just like I was always like doing like, you know, wearing basketball shorts. And I always had a lot of guy friends. But I don't know if I maybe that's true. I don't know. I think it's basically where I think I hope parenthood is headed, at least now that um, people are growing more open and accepting. It's just that like you're having conversations with your kid about sexuality earlier. You know, where it's like me and my family never talked about it. And there was always this sort of like, I mean, level of shame with it, too. I, I One of my earliest memories is me, my dad, and this kid on my team and his dad. And we were at um, the sporting goods store getting like baseball mitts. And I remember we were leaving and I just made a comment. I was like, oh, the lady that helped us it was really nice. And the, my friend's dad called her a dyke, you know, and I didn't know even know what that meant. But it just the way he said it, it, it made me feel ill. You know, and I still like that memory just gives me like a cringe, like very uncomfortable and hmm. a lot of shame tied up in that, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, did, did you send something? Did you know about yourself at that point or was it more like an intuition? It must have. I don't know. It, that's I think I've thought a lot about that. It's like it must have like struck something in me, whether it was just like the hateful tone or that I, I knew even then at like seven or eight that I, I was gay. I don't know. Either way, it, it stuck with me. That is one of my earliest memories. Yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. I, I think too, like especially as kids, but it may, maybe any, any age, mm-hmm. it's sort of amazing what we can convince ourselves of. Mm. If something's like really emotionally difficult, or yeah, I, like I love to, especially I think writers maybe sometimes pride themselves on being uh, like clear-eyed, mm. you know, in the face of difficult emotions, or you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we can. We can take it. Like we'll yeah. just look. We'll look. We'll look into this pain, and we will. You know, we'll see it for what it is. But, right. Um, yeah. That that doesn't mean that it can't happen to us too. You know, depending totally. on the situation. I've had. I've had not a lot, but I have had experiences where things have. Uh, I've been so thunderstruck by difficult things or emotional pain that like I've been in a moment of denial for mm. kind of like a. You know, it's not like a long time, but like right. long enough to be like, holy shit, like I can't believe I spent like an entire day not believing that yeah. reality was reality. Or you're just like, sometimes you're shocked the things that, are, that still affect you or you're still holding on to, you know, like with like with Pizza Girl, you know, I don't I couldn't have written it when I was 18. You know, you need I needed some distance from it. I needed to be able to think about it and consider it, you know. Who did you deliver for when you were a delivery girl? Uh, I was a mom and pop. I don't even know if it's still there. It was on like Western and I got to look up this cross street, but yeah, downtownish area. Oh, okay. Yeah. I used to, deli- I delivered for Papa John's, which did I'm not, you? Like, <laughs> I ordered Papa that, John's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, they still have that like really garlicky butter sauce that it goes with oh, it. Love my, uh, my friend Timmy and I, that I grew up with, we delivered. <laughs> We delivered for Papa John's. This was back when we were still living in Indiana. Like right. I want to say like the summer after our senior year of high school. Yeah. And uh, Timmy got like baked <laughs> and he was delivering like this big order to this house. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, I'm so hungry. And he's like, I, ha- I had to eat one of the breadsticks. <laughs> and it like happened to be like this family or like a kid's birthday party where they like no. had literally, like they had done the math and like each kid was going to get two breadsticks or something. They called the store. Oh, brutal. Yeah. So he, he got like caught like eating somebody's breadstick. Wow. Because I was going to say, I was like, I definitely had coworkers that would pull stuff like that. And they actually never got in trouble. Wow. Your friend got a bad 
bad deal there. <laughs> like who? Yeah, who are the people who count the breadsticks? <laughs> yeah, <God>. God, Nazis. <laughs> uh, but no, I did that, and then I did. Uh, what was it? It was Mountain Mike's. That was a mom and pop okay. in Boulder. And then I did a, my last stint was uh, this place called Mad Mushroom. So I did Mad Mushroom. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to know something crazy now? It's like all coming back to me. There was this guy and I'm going to forget his name because this is like my weakness. I never remember names, but I can see his face. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say he was like a first generation American from like the Czech Republic. Okay. Or like he was like Slavic, you know, mm -hmm. like there was something, there's something sort of tough about him. He wasn't nice. a big guy, but like he had like that. Basically, you don't want to fuck with him. That kind of. Yeah. Energy. That kind of thing. Like a nice guy, but like there was nothing jokey about him. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was not like, and he was the fastest driver at the store by a long shot. Like he could do more <laughs> runs in a night <laughs> than like any other driver at the store. And Damn. I got to the, I got to the point where I was like, dude, this guy is like, he's lapping the field. Like how does he, because <laughs> you do, you begin as you drive a, a certain territory. And I think you could probably speak to this right. as well. Like you begin to develop a certain pride in your mastery of the map. Yes. How quickly, you know, and like how you, you know, this street or this side street. Right. And so that's what, I mean, that's what I think he was genius at is mm -hmm. that, A, he was a, he was a fast driver and he was good, you know, at driving fast, but right. he knew every alley, he knew every, you know, every sort of hustle in terms of like beating traffic patterns. And, uh, <laughs> I would try on certain nights, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to see if I can keep up with this guy. And I just couldn't do it. <laughs> there, there again, my competitive fire just wasn't burning yep, hot enough. Wasn't burning hot enough. No, I did a lot of night shifts, so I was never too quick. And this or that, but I also didn't have to be. So that was that was probably good because again, I, it sounds like we both like to enjoy a little bit of weed before we went on our shifts. <laughs> it was the and just listening to music. Oh, I used to. I mean, I'm so yeah. old. I was listening to like cassette tapes. I funny enough, I had uh, my car. I drove. It's not the same car as the one in the book, but it was an O2 Jeep Liberty, and it had a tape deck. And I so had Jeep, uh, I had a Jeep. I had a Jeep Cherokee. One oh of those, shit. Like, I had one of those like boxy, like the boxy yeah. red. That's what I had. Yeah. And that, that was my, and I would have my oh, dog. Yes. Your I dog? Had my dog. Yeah. I had a, my border collie Merlin would, uh, I mean, this was very bolder, but he would ride with me on all my shifts. <laughs> That's an awesome image. Also, God, what did people say when they saw a dog in your car? It was bolder. It was like, okay. And like the pizzas were inside the, the, yeah. the hot pocket. They were inside the, you know, they were in boxes and they were in like hot pocket. It's like my, like my dog was like sitting on their pizza. Yes. Um, but you know, I just, he didn't like, it was better to have him in the car than to have him stay home alone. I would have taken a dog if I could have too. No, but there yeah. is so, it's so funny after I, the day my book came out, I knew that the New York times was going to review it. But I had like no idea what they were gonna say, obviously. And I don't sleep a lot in general anyway. But I, it's like, it's like I, my body just knew. I like woke with a start at like three in the morning, and my heart was beating. And I was like, oh shit. And then I looked at my phone and I looked up the New York Times, and the review was really glowing and really lovely. And I was just like, wow. And I just sort of laid there for a sec, and I don't know what it was. I just I got into my car and I just sort of went on a drive, and I don't know. It felt almost like just like the perfect thing to do. The day and then I, real yeah. I realized I went into my kitchen and yeah. realized that I had left a glass of whiskey out on the table and there was a <laughs> dead fly in it. Yeah, two dead flies this time. <laughs> no, I listened, to the, I listened to the new Run the Jewels album and I drove down the 110 freeway and then back up the entire way. So I emptied out in San Pedro and then I went back to Pasadena and then, yeah, then I went back to my apartment. It was a nice what drive. Time, what time was this? Oh, this was like four in the morning. <laughs> 
damn so no traffic no was traffic. good perfect i felt like i was i was almost i had to like remind myself i was like don't get too comfortable it'd be very tragic if you got into a car accident on the day your right. book came out just like you're taking your like victory laugh and you yeah. know <laughs> by the way we just kind of sounded you remember that skit the californians from saturday night live yeah and, yeah and, god yeah, yeah like, i sounded so la there <laughs> uh, i just watched that actually with my daughter uh, last night she's like nine years old and she's obsessed with uh kristen wig <laughs> oh great idol that's, to that's have. That's what my wife really? and I were like, okay. And like, we didn't push that on her. She just gravitated. So she's like <laughs> really into Kristen Wiig and uh, Maya Rudolph. So like, we feel like we're doing something right. Wow. Like, it's like the best, yeah, like the best I've felt about my parenting, maybe ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to keep being a good parent, don't let her read pizza girl until she like graduates high school or something. And then you're, then she, then that'll you be sure. Like I want her to, I want, see, I want my daughter to be reading beyond her grade level. Okay, maybe like a, a mature 15, 16 then. Like I, I yeah. can sometimes overdo that where I'm like, I think she's ready for Apocalypse Now. It's like, you know, like, it's like yeah. I know. I think it's, it's going to be tough for me if I have kids too because I feel like I just got into stuff a little perhaps too early. Like, like Grand Theft Auto, for example. That was like my favorite game when I was like nine years old, which is yeah, horrifying. That's but, healthy. But, you know, yeah, it turned right. out okay. <laughs> well, and this thing too about you not being able to sleep, you're telling me you're drinking monster energy drinks. Like, no wonder you can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a part of it. I need to flush out my bloodstream with just some good old water. Or maybe I need to become a vegan like you it's are. Good. I think it's good to run your, like, burn clean, you know, burn clean fuel. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I say that, exactly. and I'm also, I drink a lot of caffeine. I'm not, and I drink mm. alcohol like pretty much every day. I have a glass of wine. Um, mm, I do like a good glass of red. Well, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I get a little, I can get really austere in my thinking sometimes where I'm like, why, <laughs> why do I need that glass? Like, what's up? <laughs> but it's never, it's never more than one glass usually. I mean, unless I'm out to, mm. out to dinner, which I never am. And yeah, especially these days, <laughs> Yeah, especially these days. So I'm not like a big drinker, but I do enjoy, like, I think of my grandmother, my mom's mm. mom. And she was this, uh, she was very tiny. She, when she died, she weighed like 90 pounds. You know, she's like one of these yeah. little petite, like five foot tall people. And, um, right. she, uh, she was a, she had nine children and smoked unfiltered cigarettes through like half of the pregnancies. <laughs> they are all healthy, all healthy as horses. <laughs> knock on wood. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, she had nine babies, but then like, I want to say at some point she was like probably in her mid thirties or the doctor was just like, look, if you keep doing this, you're going to have emphysema. Oh, shit. And so she quit. I could be botching this story. Um, but then she quit and then she like was so stre stressed from like having all these babies and like trying to be a parent like all the time, right. you know, she got ulcers and then had to have like, I want to say like three quarters of her stomach removed. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So she had like this teeny tiny stomach, which is part of the reason why she was so little. Yeah. Um, God. But I remember going down to visit because she lived in like the small town, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. and she would have they had these little baby beers they're like little teeny tiny cute like baby beers just like you would like they're adorable the little miller lights <laughs> oh or like a coronita yeah it's just like a tiny yeah. little baby beer and like a little and she had those in her fridge like a bunch of them in like the there's a fridge in the laundry room i remember and you'd always be like you know gammy wants her bit you know her beer and i would go get her a beer and <laughs> she had one of those every night with dinner and she lived to be like into her 90s so that, there you have that's it. my theory of the case. I think having like a, there you have one it. drink a day as an adult <laughs> is a healthy way to approach life. Hell yeah.
but why not? I'm not, uh, you know, I guess maybe I should get into baby beers. That's kind of, a... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to look for that next time I'm at the store. Yeah, I have a little, I have a little dirt patch in front of my apartment. So I've been trying to just have like relaxing routines for myself. So I might have a glass of wine or a beer and I'll read whatever book I'm reading out there in my little camping chair since I don't have an actual yard. <laughs> Where do you live? Like, do you mind saying what part of town you live in? Oh yeah. I'm at the edge of Chinatown. Oh, that's right. You said near Echo yeah. Park. Yes, yeah. So right before it begins, basically. So how, where, where do you stand on masks? I am getting, I'm going to just come out first yeah. so I don't set, <laughs> I don't want to set you up to fail in case you're yeah. one of these monsters walking around without a mask on. But like, I am not. But, okay. Yeah. I go out and I am like going on my hikes and I am just shooting daggers at these people. Unbelievable, man. It's, I, I feel, luckily my neighborhood is actually really low key and quiet and everyone's pretty good on mass but here and there you'll just see like i don't know it's it annoys me more when there's people who live across the street from me it looks like they've been throwing parties you know and it just makes me so mad i just don't get it i think though i was joking with a friend of mine this morning i was sort of like i was texting and i was like you know what like the upside of the masks Mm -hmm. or the no masks is that it just it sort of lets you know very easily who the selfish like asshole morons are yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, okay, well, there you go. You're just going to walk. There you have you're it. just going to walk into the grocery store and get people <laughs> sick. You don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. God, I've been seeing some wild videos. I don't. Okay. I think those people are actors. That's what I think. But they have to be. I mean, like the one story I read, this woman wasn't even trying to shop. She was just getting up in people's faces, which, you know, is even sicker somehow. I was like, wow, you really came just to fuck with people. See, I'm so paranoid. I think that that's propaganda that's either financed by... Mm-hmm. Um, foreign influences or by bad mm. like subterranean actors who want to try to foment division among Americans and to like politicize masks which is right that's what pisses me off too about it is that it's just such a stupid thing to politicize no I know I, I don't I'm, I'm just like it's safety I don't know how this yeah. is an issue how we're having an argument about right this. right exactly exactly but we found a way you know people found a way to get like up in arms about it and I think too like it uh, it's like a like the pressures brought to bear by this moment upon people, whether it's, you know, it's always a combination of things. It's going to be like financial pressure, which is very real for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just like the, the pressure of having to be socially isolated, the pressure of having your routines disrupted and not just like your healthy routine, like, oh my God, I can't go to like my, you know, right. Zumba class or whatever it is. But like um, the routines that we use traditionally to distract ourselves from our suffering right you're like oh wait i can't go do x y and z which is how i used to totally like distract myself you know like and and uh you know keep my mind off of things like suddenly these things get ripped away and i think when people's defenses are down in that way it has yielded Mm -hmm. yielded some interesting behaviors Mm, yeah good way to put it (laughs) but I think that on the positive side, pizza delivery businesses have to be killing it during. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the few things I've mostly been cooking, but I have ordered pizza several times. I've also at this point, though, can't eat any more pizza. After my book came out, my friends are so sweet. They just sent me too much, too much pizza. I'm, I'm ill and I'm overweight. Really? That, that, <laughs> yep. I guess it makes sense that people would send you pizza. Yeah, it was like, you know, since like we can't really obviously celebrate in person, people wanted to. Right. Do something nice for me, which is very sweet. What about uh, tipping? Like, are you, you've got to be a pretty good tipper for the pizza delivery yes. people. You have to. I, I, you know, of course I have a soft spot with it, too. Um, you know, it's funny. When I was delivering, I was actually very understanding when people couldn't tip. But 
it did make the people who are good tippers feel that much sweeter, you know. I, I have I mean, I think that the general theory for me is that if you've ever worked for tips, you're a good tipper. Yeah. And I think yeah. that sometimes people just don't have any money and they're just like they're That's like, why I was always really like tried to be understanding if someone gave me a shitty tip, you know. I I, I, I try. I mean if somebody's yeah. like scraping if it's like, oh, they've got like you know, six one dollar bills that are like they look like they've been through the laundry and yeah. then the, the rest yeah. they get the rest they give you in change and they have a coupon, like fine, okay? Like Yeah. But I, the people who are just like uh cheap, like there's nothing worse to me. Oh, few, few such th- an asshole. Yeah, people people who yeah. don't tip well drive me absolutely bonkers. Yeah. It, especially when you know that they're just they just don't view a serving job as something that deserves a much reward. You know, yeah, I had a friend uh, who was like had like a very strong opinion in that direction. And mm-hmm. I, I was just like, have you ever been in a situation where like you're at a table with some friends and mm-hmm. you all are like splitting the, t- the tab and then like you're like watching to see what the tip is going to be? And yes. then you're like, oh my God, that person just like shorted the tip. And so like <laughs> everybody gets up and then you sneak back to the table and like throw more money on there just so you're, you know, I've done that a few times. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been, I've done that for sure. <laughs> uh, what are you working on now? You got another book in the works or are you going to do that yeah. basketball book or? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I have two things actually. I'm, I'm working on this basketball book. Um, it's this group of girls uh, in the Midwest that think their team is winning because they're all virgins. So they kind of make a pact to not lose their virginity until they win a state title. Whoa. So I think that can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but somehow I feel like I, I haven't been working on that lately. And it might be just cause I'm burnt out writing about high school age people, you know? <laughs> so I've been working more on my stoner tragedy, which is people close to my age, like late twenties, early thirties. What can you elaborate at all on stoner tragedy? Yeah. I, well, I always like, I love stoner comedies, but what always struck me and still strikes me about them is how easily they could be really sad. Like if you think about like pineapple express, uh, the main character, Seth Rogen's character, Dale Denton, I mean, a sad name in itself. He's like a process server, you know, and he's dating a girl who's like in high school. It's kind of yikes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and in Harold and Kumar, like there's like a lot of emotion about like Harold feeling really conflicted about his heritage and the way he's viewed, um, his Asianness is viewed, his masculinity, and Kumar is smart enough to be a doctor, but, you know, is a total slacker. I don't know. There's just so much rich material there. And I was like, what would it be like if I just went pure literary, pure sadness? You know, of course, I, you know, I say sadness. There's I definitely still is actually maybe it's one of the funniest things I've allowed myself to do, but it is it is a tragedy ultimately. Is there a middle-aged podcaster in the book? <laughs> I will write him in. <laughs> Lad Bristy. Yeah, just put me in for a cameo. I think <laughs> yeah, exactly. you can wedge me in there. <laughs> I'll find a way. And I, you know, before yeah. I let you go, this is something that mm-hmm. just came to mind as you were talking uh, about yeah. being sick of writing high school people. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the interesting way in which you got into the voice of Pizza Girl, which I think mm. is worth listeners hearing about because yeah. I think even, you know, it's weird how we get removed from our experiences. Like I don't, I'm 44. I couldn't tell you a right. damn thing about high school. Uh, I know some people yeah. have like this perfect recall and they can, yeah. they can remember. I'm not only, one of those people. I don't yeah. remember anybody. I don't remember what happened. I don't care, yeah. you know? And yeah. 
Um, if Sometimes I, I think that's a coping me- mechanism too. I'm like, I am a present person. Right. I can't dwell too much. You know. I can't. I can't. But I also just don't have the recall. Yeah. Um, and I, I think too, like my general attitude. I mean, it's not like it's a total blank. Like I can remember. Right. I, I remember what I remember. And like my theory is that uh, I feel like I have a lot of theories today. But I, I feel like yeah, I love them. Yeah. I, I just feel like whatever sticks is what's supposed to stick. Mm. Yeah. You know. I, I, I think little. Lil Wayne, to quote a great poet, um, has this song, 10,000 Bars, and it's like 40 minutes, and he just literally rapped everything he ever wrote down, and then he never wrote down a word again. That's true. Look that up. Lil Wayne, 10,000 Bars. I thought it was so badass when I heard about it when I was in high school. Damn. And yeah, and he ever since has just sort of uh, kind of just gone with the flow. You know, Of course, it's like it's more technical than that, but he doesn't really try to write his lyrics down anymore that's what jay-z does too yeah. they just they, yeah for it's like from memory yeah very or, cool or they just may, or, you know, make it up or whatever that's incredible yeah yeah it's like not being precious i think is kind of the idea you know but that no that's like this is it we're coming full circle it's the not giving yeah. a fuck it's giving <laughs> less of a fuck <laughs> as a um not as a way of like not caring about the work but right. of right. like uncorking your creativity and like taking some of the neurosis right. out of it you know Totally, totally. Um, no. So how did you get into the voice of Pizza Girl? Tell that story because I think it's a useful, like considering how hard it is to like remember mm-hmm. even when you're only just a few years removed from those right. times and like wanting it to be authentic, you know, making yeah. making the prose work in a way that feels true to mm-hmm. the age uh, of the character. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't actively thinking, like I didn't even at that point really know exactly how what the vibe of pizza girl would be other than i knew i wanted to write it and then i was dating this girl who saw that i had over fifty thousand unread emails and she was like are you a sociopath and i'm like no i'm normal i swear and so i just like went to kind of like delete those emails i was like all right maybe she's right maybe i should clean out this inbox and i got all the way back to like oh nine uh 2010 and kind of stumbled upon all the emails me and like the first like love of my life sent each other, you know, and I just was like really moved. It it was like sad, not so much because I missed this person. Like it had been so long at that point. I don't even know who that girl is anymore. It was more just, I was like, I didn't know who that version of me was anymore. Uh You know, like I read it and I was just so blown away by like kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like the boldness that I had, the tenderness and, I don't know. I felt a lot of love for that version of me. And it it was kind of then where I was like, I think this is sort of the voice I try to emulate, you know, like this is sort of in not exactly the prose, but the like energy of it and just the bare nakedness of it. I get that. That's like that's where I think growing up in a completely digital environment has its benefits is that the email record is there unless you, yeah. unless you've scrubbed for it for better, for worse, for better, for worse, <laughs> you know, but, but at least the email's not like living on the internet, you know, in public. Yeah. yeah thank God I'm not a blogger. I was never a blogger. Uh, yeah, no, that's not a, I guess like there might be some of my blogs on like the Wayback machine or something, but I, you know, that's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, I have so enjoyed talking to you. Like I said, I, uh, too, I feel like I'm, uh, like, like drunk on uh, sleep deprivation, <laughs> but it's been a real joy to uh to chat with you and to catch you as this book makes its way out into the world you're such a young writer to be uh this good and to be having the success that's very exciting for you you. and i wish i wish you luck i wish you luck on the uh basketball book and on the (laughs) stoner tragedy does the stoner tragedy have a title 
Uh, yes, it does. I'm going to keep it to myself at this point. But there will be a Brad Listy appearance in it, everyone. So keep your eyes open for that. <laughs> I better look good. That's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, uh, Gene, it's a pleasure and best of luck to you. Thanks, Brad. Okay, there you go. That is Jean Kyung Frazier. Her debut novel is called Pizza Girl. It is available from Doubleday. You can find her online at GoGeneFraserGo.com. You can follow her on Twitter at GoGeneFraserGo. Again, the novel is Pizza Girl, the official July pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. It's out there now from Doubleday. Go get your copy right now. The Other People podcast is offered freely. Every single episode of this show is made available for free. More than 650 episodes and counting. It's all free. It's a listener-supported show. If you like the show, support the show at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. That's patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Don't forget, too, you can get other people gear. T-shirts, sweatshirts, tank tops, for real. They're really soft and they look cool. If you want a Other People t-shirt or some such, just go to otherppl.com and there's a little uh, thingamajig in the left sidebar. You'll see it. Click on it. Get yourself some apparel. If you would like to write to me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. Let me know what you think. The Other People podcast has its own app, the Other People with Brad Listy app. It's available where apps are available. Go get the app. The app is free. It's all free. So coming up next time on The Other People Show, I have Maggie Downs on the program. What an absolutely uh, fun person she is. Just wonderful to talk with. I'm excited to share that conversation with you coming up next on the Other People program. So I hope that you are doing well out there. I should mention, too, happy birthday to my boy River, my son. He just turned five yesterday. Should have had him on the show. I forgot. But uh, he's napping right now. He's had a big day. There's all sorts of like plastic toys and shit all over my house. Where does the time go? We just get sucked into the void, man. (laughs) 